You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Brewers on Tap. Episode number 69 of Brewers on Tap. I'm Lane Grindle. Winter meetings have concluded and the hot stove has started to cool down a bit. So we check in on the off-season moves made thus far by the crew and get you set up for what's to come after the first of the year. Plus, we'll chat with one of the newest Brewers, Eric Thames, new first baseman for the crew, and general manager David Stearns. He's going to stop by and we're going to talk about all the moves that have made so far this off-season. But first... And now, this week in Brewers history. We go backward to December 12th of 1980. Harry Dalton wheels and deals at the annual winter meetings trading with St. Louis for catcher Ted Simmons, starting pitcher Pete Vukovic, and closer Raleigh Fingers. That uh, had a little bit of an impact on the club moving forward over the next couple of years. One of the big trades in Brewers history. As we mentioned, the Brewers have been busy making some deals themselves just prior to the winter meetings. The crew announced the signing of first baseman Eric Thames. Thames returns to the MLB after a three-year hiatus in Korea where Thames hit 124 home runs and hit well over 300 in each season he was there. He's played in 181 games in the majors. He hit 250 with 21 home runs and 62 RBIs. Those seasons came at ages 24 and 25. Thames is currently 30, and I caught up with him following his introductory press conference to the media at Miller Park in November. Let's catch up with the crew. Eric Thames is our guest here on the podcast. And Eric, um, what a whirlwind this has had to have been for you to uh, come back now stateside and be a part of Major League Baseball again and, and, and to get to do it with the Milwaukee Brewers. What, what all went into this decision for you? I wanted to be in an environment where, you know, the GM has a good plan for the team, like a great manager who share that, that kind of dream for the team. And, you know, it's a good team, guys, young, ready, hungry, ready to play and win. And this is Milwaukee Brewers right there. Was playing first base one of the things you were looking for, or were you fine with wherever the opportunity was going to be at? I said, if if you want me to play shortstop, if you want me to close, I'll close. 87, 88 with sink, you know, I'll I'll do it. Um, You know, it's having a job, you know, having a jersey on my back. That's the most important thing, and they wanted me to play first. So, of course, all right, I'll do it. Let's go. You've had a unique journey to this point. What have you learned along the way about yourself? I learned that you got to, you know, adapt or die. I mean, life is crazy and it comes at you, so you just have to, you know, learn what you can, adapt, and then um, do your best. How how much have you changed since the last time you were in Major League Baseball? What, what How's your game changed, but also how have you changed just even on a personal level? Oh, a lot. You know, I learned to, you know, think with my head on the swivel. You know, instead of trying to be a perfectionist and control everything and try to hit 400 and 50 home runs, you know, try to hit that, that five-run home run every at-bat, you know, don't try to do that anymore. I mean, sometimes you just got to, you know, you know, have at-bats for the team, you know, get guys over, get them in, or even bunt. Like, you know, winning's the most important thing. So I learned that, you know, my three years, it's a long time, three years, just learned that the team's important and, 
you know, the game will punish you if you press, and the game will punish you if you get, you know, conceded. So just got to stay humble and play for the team. Playing in Korea, and you already talked about this, you see a lot more off-speed stuff over there. But that can be a positive thing, too, and that it probably taught you some more plate discipline. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and those guys are good over there. They work on hitting that that pitches down the zone, fork balls and splits and change-ups and those little slow curveballs. Like, they, they can control it. So, um, so yeah, so you're not always going to get that 88 right down the middle. You could just hit it out of the park. But you got to, like, you know, flick, flick a ball the other way, some slow pitch, or sit back and be patient wait for your pitch. Um, there's a lot of ways, but, yeah, it definitely changed my approach. Being a part of the culture over there, and obviously um, maybe not having language barriers and things of that nature, does that help you in some ways just come to the ballpark and really get locked in for each day's game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to have a routine over there. And one thing that kind of crushed me a little bit was that there's no batting cages. Like, guys don't use batting cages there, so everything's done on the field. Uh, so I kind of mastered, you know, having having like a mental approach, like being able to like stand front of a plate and have like a mental like dry run, like visualize the curveball coming in for a strike, curveball for a ball, like kind of like visualizing stuff. So I use like my mind a little bit more, and it paid off a lot. You uh, have, have have come up through the system. You've, you've been a part of American baseball. However, uh, it's been a few years. So are you very familiar with the guys that are in the Brewers system right now? Uh, are, are, you know, are you excited to get to know some of these guys? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely excited. I mean, I, I know a few guys, but definitely in three years, a lot of guys have come up that I have no idea, like rookies. Like there's guys I haven't played with, you know, before is guys, okay, I remember the guy in double A, right? I remember him in A-ball. I know that guy is, but now it's like a lot of young faces, guys throw cheese, and so it's going to be fun to meet them all and learn their abilities and learn their personalities and go forth from there. You had other op- opportunities, obviously. What, what was it about the Brewers? You, you hit on a little bit off the top, but what was it specifically about the Brewers' opportunity that stood out to you? I, I just love the fans. You know, I mentioned how I played in lacrosse in 2007, um, and I'm used to, like, how the fans were here. They're so nice, and, you know, they're hungry for a winner, and, and they support the team. And plus, like, you know, cheese curds. I love I- <laughs> I, I ate a lot of cheese curds in 2007, so I'm going to eat a lot more here. But like I said, it's the atmosphere, the, the hospitality. It's kind of like a family atmosphere. And, like, you see, the, those are the teams that win. You know, the championships that make the postseason, the teams that kind of bond as a team and go forward. You had big numbers in Korea, a lot of power numbers. What do you think is going to be your biggest challenge now coming back to Major League Baseball? Or are you, are you do you just have to take that as it comes? Biggest challenge will be establishing the routine of being in the States again, which will be easy. I mean, just more just everyday, you know, repetitions. Um, the flat swing, flat swing. Before I had a lot of uppercut my swing, um, but I've cut that out a lot and kind of increased my contact rate, so that's a big thing. Other than that, just kind of take it in stride and, you know, keep going with my head on a swivel and, you know, learn as I go. Eric, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks to Eric Thames for joining me on the podcast. In connection to that move, the Brewers decided to part ways with slugging first baseman Chris Carter. Once the meetings got started, the Brewers also able to make one of the week's biggest trades when they sent closer Tyler Thornburg to Boston for third baseman Travis Shaw, middle infield prospect Mauricio Dubon, and right-handed pitcher Josh Pennington. Shaw, the Red Sox third baseman last year, does something that Earlier acquisition Thames also does, and that's provide left-handed power. The Brewers looking to balance out that lineup with a few more left-handed bats. Both Thames and Shaw 
going to be regulars in that lineup from the left side. Jacques can also play some first base, so he brings some versatility. He drove in 71 runs last year, and his presence should allow for Jonathan Villar to move to second base. Dubon was a top 10 Red Sox prospect that figures to have a chance to potentially move over to second base in the future and adds to an already deep system in the middle of that infield. While Pennington is a big arm with upper 90s velocity, he'll begin in the Brewers system as a starter, but one could easily see him sliding toward the back of the bullpen in the future. Additionally, the Brewers sent Martin Maldonado and right-handed pitcher Drew Gagneau to the Angels for young catcher Jet Bandy. Bandy has a bit more offensive upside than Maldonado with good power potential. Bandy also improving as a defensive catcher. He is controllable through 2022. That's a big part of this deal. Bandy will turn 27 at the end of spring training. He played in 70 games with the Angels last year. He hit eight home runs, and he's a big dude, six foot four, 235 pounds. The Brewers also made a good volume of minor league signings and also another major league signing over the week's following the winter meetings and leading up to the holiday. Biggest name, probably Tommy Malone, the left-handed starting pitcher who signed with the Brewers and is expected to come in and compete for a start starting rotation spot. Malone spent the past couple of seasons in Minnesota with the Twins, and he's looking to rebound from what was a disappointing 2016. Some intriguing names will be in the Maryville Clubhouse this spring in Phoenix on minor league deals, and they came with spring training invites. Versatile infielder Ivan DeJesus Jr., who we saw a bunch last year with the Reds, very versatile guy. Another infielder and former Oakland A, Eric Sogard. And then former Tampa Bay Ray, who's a Baltimore Oriole as well, Ryan Webb, a power right-handed arm that could factor into the Brewers' bullpen plans. These guys will have a chance to either make the club coming out of spring or perhaps give the organization some depth in the minor leagues as well as we get ready for 2017. Let's break it down. Welcome to an off-season edition of the David Stern Show. I'm Lane Grindle, and it's been a busy month of December, obviously, for the Brewers. David, and you know, let's start and go back to winter meetings, yep. kind of prior to winter meetings, actually. Uh, the decision to non-tender Chris Carter, and you were very quick, obviously. You had uh, another plan unveiled within almost hours of that news coming out, and that was Eric Thames to be the new first baseman for the Brewers. Let's go back to the process that went into making that decision and how it all came about. Well, whenever we look at ways to fill out our roster and ways to construct our roster, we're looking at certainly the, the options we have available internally, and then what's available externally, either via free agent signing um, or, or trades. And in this case, we looked at uh, a market that was fairly robust um, in terms of available players who could play first base. Uh, and in particular, we looked at a player like Eric Thames, who we think has a significant upside uh, coming back to the United States from Korea, someone who we have an extended period of control over now at a very affordable rate, and someone who we think can really be part of our future. And that doesn't take anything away from Chris Carter and yeah. what he meant to this team last year. Chris is, is a really good clubhouse presence, obviously an enormous power threat in the middle of our lineup. And he did exactly what we could have hoped for here last year. But really, as we evaluated how we wanted to build our team going forward, uh, we thought that Eric Thames was the right fit for us at this point. Eric brings a left-handed bat, and there was no secret you wanted to balance out this lineup a little bit more, and you've been able to do that with some other moves as well. But let's start with Eric Thames. How much was the appeal that he was left-handed on top of everything else? It's part of the roster construction uh, and the totality of the strategy that we're trying to put together. Having 
a balanced roster um, so that we feel equally competitive against right-handed and left-handed pitching is, is important for us as we go forward. Eric uh, began the process uh, of getting to slightly more balance. Um, Eric has had success against right-handed pitching throughout his career. We think he provides a, a definite left-handed power threat in the middle of our lineup. Um, someone who makes uh, contact and can drive the ball to the gaps as well as hit the ball over the wall. So getting him into the fold, uh, allowing him to, to balance our lineup out a, a little bit was certainly part of the equation and part of his attractiveness uh, bringing him over here. He had a run at an early point in his career in Major League Baseball, and then he went to Korea and had enormous success. Yep. Did you study what other guys have done when they've left Major League Baseball, gone off to another league, whether it be Japan or Korea or wherever, and then come back? Was that part of the process in figuring out, hey, is he, is he going to be a different guy when he comes back? There, there were a number of things that went into this process, and that, that was certainly part of it. Unfortunately, there aren't too many guys who have followed yeah. that, that path. There aren't too many guys who have had major league experience, gone overseas, and then returned to the United States. There have been a few, but, but the sample size isn't all, that, isn't all that large. So what we try to do in Eric's case is really hone in on, on his specific skill set, understand why he was having success in Korea, and then use our best judgment to determine whether that success would translate to the United States. And um, ultimately, we, we found and, and we believe that he made some uh, significant adjustments um, going over to Korea, both in terms of his mechanics at the plate, uh, his approach at the plate, and his mindset uh, going, each, going into each and every game. And, and we do believe that those changes and those adjustments to his game uh, will translate back here in the major leagues, and, and we're excited to see it. Let's talk about the big move that you made at the winter meetings, and that was moving Tyler Thornburg. Clearly, relief pitching has been a premium in Major League Baseball the last few years, and so if you have pieces like this, you can get a big return. And, and I feel like you got a very good return. You fit a current need, and, and, and you filled some needs for the future as well in the deal for Tyler Thornburg. Of course, what's going to jump out to most people is Travis Shaw, who is going to have a chance to be your everyday third baseman. Again, another left-handed bat as well. That's right. and. Clearly, we've traded a number of relievers over the past couple of months, uh, a number of very talented relievers, and, and we've been able to extract a premium in terms of the return that, that we've gotten for those guys. And so um, it's always difficult to part uh, with players who are contributing currently at, your major, at the major league level, but in each of these deals, we, we are comfortable that the return we got back justified those transactions. And in the case of Tyler Thornburg, to be able to get someone like a Travis Shaw, who we think we can plug in, uh, to our regular lineup at third base, uh, continue to balance our, our lineup with another left-handed hitter who has some power, um, and then add two prospects behind that uh, who we really like and we think have the chance to move fast through our system and, and contribute here in Milwaukee in the not-too-distant future. The totality of that package for, was too much for, for us to pass up and being able to satisfy a team need in, in, in the present and also build for the future as well uh, was something that was, was certainly appealing about the package we got back from Boston. And the shortstop, Mauricio Dubon, and then, of course, uh, Josh Pennington, a, a right-handed pitcher that has uh, big-time velocity uh, potential as well. So, I mean, with Pennington, it'll be one of those things you'll figure out as he goes through the system, whether he's a starter or he's a yep. back-of-the-bullpen guy, but you have plenty of time to figure that out. And another nice middle infield piece, you, you're starting to develop a ton of depth in that area. That's right, and we'll start with Pennington. He does have a big arm. He has premium velocity. Whenever you see a guy like that in the lower levels of the minor leagues uh, who throws hard, the, the initial thought is always closer. Um, we will continue to develop him as a starter 
and if at some point we feel as though his best move and his best path to the major leagues and contributing at the major league level is in the bullpen, we'll make that move. But we believe that, that he can continue to develop as a starter, and we're going to give him every chance to do so. And then Mauricio Dubon is, is a fun, uh, athletic, young shortstop prospect. Um, we've been very high on him throughout the past year. To have the ability to access him in a deal like this was, was really exciting for us. And um, he'll start next year probably in double A. Um, we'll determine that for sure in, in spring training and, and talk with our staff. And we'll give him time to develop. And, and we'll give him time to, to play predominantly shortstop and move him around the field as well. Uh, we obviously like players with positional versatility, and we think he fits that mold well. I think the other spot people assumed you might be looking at making some moves was behind the plate, and you were able to make a move behind the plate. You send Martin Maldonado and Drew Gagneau to the Angels, and you get back Jet Bandy, a young, controllable catcher, big body with a lot of power. He has a pretty good offensive upside. He does have some nice offensive upside, and, and we really like the, the well-rounded package that that Bandy can potentially provide. He's um, a very good defender behind the plate. He receives the ball well, has a very accurate and strong arm, which will help our staff control the running game. And then the, the offensive upside is definitely there. He's 26 years old. He's just establishing himself in the major leagues. As, as you mentioned, we have five years of team control uh, over him, and, and that's, that's important, um, and that's exciting. He's someone who we think can be here for years to come. Um, Maldi did an outstanding job here. He's, he's a, a, a lifelong brewer, um, but, but to be able to acquire someone who we think can be here um, well into the future was, was a good opportunity for us. Did it make it easier to make this move since you got a good look at Pena over the last two months of the season last year? And you made the move for Andrew Susak, right. who I think you anticipate is going to be able to help you at the big league level too. Absolutely. H having all three of those now um, in-house, we feel very good with our catching depth. Um, the three of those guys will go into spring training. They'll be competing against each other. I imagine all three of them will see significant time in the major leagues over the course of the year. Uh, and, and among those three, we think we're going to get very quality production out of our catching core. You've brought in some interesting pieces um, from a non-roster invite standpoint. Um, some guys with major league baseball experience. Guy we saw a lot last year, Yvonne DeJesus Jr. Yep. Uh, is going to be with the big league club in spring training. Eric Sogard, who fans are going to be very familiar with, and they'll recognize him immediately, obviously, yep. uh, in spring training. Uh, th this is funny. Versatile guys, that seems to be the theme as well. That is. And in, in each of these guys, we're looking to potentially plug different holes in our roster, whether it's immediately out of spring training or later in the season. We know um, that every team goes through 35, 40, 45 players over the course of the year, bouncing up and down between AAA and the major leagues. And a lot of these types of players that we're acquiring at this stage via non-roster invitations to spring training, minor league contracts, are going to be some of those guys who um, maybe are some of the, the unheralded stories coming into the year, who perhaps we're not counting on to play a significant role, but over the course of the year when we need help, they're going to be the ones we call on. And so those two guys in particular, very strong defenders, versatile infielders, can play all over the diamond. And so to be able to bring those guys into the fold, add to our infield depth, um, whether it's right out of spring training at the major league level or later in the year, it's, it's an important addition to us and it's an important part of the offseason plan. Another guy that is a part of the 40-man roster that was signed this week is Tommy Malone, the left-hander with the Twins last year. Gives you some flexibility, whether it be competition in the starting rotation or depth for that starting rotation. But he's probably a guy that can be a long guy out of the bullpen, too, if, if, if it comes to that. He can. And the ability to bring in a lefty, a left-handed starter like Tommy 
um, complement the rest of our rotation, compete with some of those guys at the back end as we head into spring training. Something we wanted to do, um, we wanted to enhance the depth of our starting rotation, uh, preferably from the left side to provide that balance. Um, and so Tommy was a nice fit. He, he was looking for a team um, where he can reestablish himself. He had a rough year last year, bounced between the, the major leagues and AAA, but he's a pitcher who has had sustained success at the major, league bef major leagues before. Um, there has not been a substantive change in his stuff since that period of sustained success, so we fully anticipate that he can get back there. Another arm that you've added on a minor league contract is Ryan Webb, who has a lot of major league baseball experience and will come in and compete and have a decent chance to make the club, I would think. That's right, and, and Ryan, another veteran, um, another guy we're, we're bringing in to help fill some of those voids in the bullpen that, that, um, that we've lost over the last couple of months via trade. So um, Ryan will come in, compete for a spot, uh, we'll likely bring in a couple of other guys as well who, in similar type situations who can come in and compete for spots. And uh, we, we expect, whether it's Ryan or someone else, to be able to step up and be, be a significant part of this pen. David Stearns is joining us. It's the David Stearns Show. On the topic of bullpen, um, you, you've sent Will Smith, Jeremy Jeffress, and now Tyler Thornburg in trades over the past you know, six months or so. And, well, not even six months, three months or so. So now you've got to kind of remake that bullpen. You have some nice young pieces, whether it's Jacob Barnes, still have a lot of hope for Michael Blazik. He had, obviously, injuries last year that, that he had to deal with. Damien Magnifico is starting to come around. How, Corey Knable, how would you see this bullpen getting made moving forward? And I know there's some pieces left to, to add to yep. it, so you don't have the whole picture yet. We, we were talking about this at the winter meetings internally, thinking back to, to at this point last year. Um, and we would have been extremely pleasantly surprised if at if this point last year you had told us that Jeremy Jeffress was going to emerge as, as, as a premier closer and then Tyler Thornburg was going to emerge as a premier closer and that Will Smith was going to suffer a knee injury in spring training and then bounce back and have a, a very strong finish to the season um, and perform well for us and, and ultimately the San Francisco Giants. And so what, what it tells us is that Relievers are, are very unpredictable sometimes. Yep. And, and um, if you have the talent, guys will step up into roles, even if they haven't necessarily performed in those roles previously. Or at least there's the potential for that to happen. And so when you talk about guys like Jacob Barnes and Corey Knable, um, Jan Mariñez, Carlos Torres, Michael Blazik, Tyler Cravey, Damian Magnifico, guys who contributed to what was a pretty solid bullpen at the end yep. of the year. Um, we do think that, that one of those guys or multiple of those guys will be able to step up um, to, to aid the back end of the pen and fill some of those voids that have been created over the last couple months. Now, we're not just going to leave it on those young guys. We are going to bring in some veterans, um, whether it's a Ryan Webb or someone like that, or whether it's guys who have perhaps been a little bit more established at the back end of the pen. Yeah. Um, we're certainly looking in, in that end of the free agent market as well. So. Um, the bullpen is certainly a work in progress. Bullpens generally are works in progress for, for much of the offseason and really into the season. Um, but we, we feel very comfortable with the amount of talent um, we have currently from a young talent perspective that's coming to compete in the back end of our pen. And we just need to let players establish themselves in different roles. You have a lot of depth in the starting rotation right now. There's no secret to that. And you just don't know what's going to happen with spring guys can get hurt. It yep. seems like it happens every year. But if everybody should get through there healthy, that might be some option. That might be an option or two for you there too, right? Absolutely. And, and a lot of the premier relievers in this game at one point were starting yeah. pitchers. And, and whether it was because of team need or necessity, 
um, or was just the right path for their career development, they transitioned to a relief role. And so uh, that's possible with some of the guys who will come to camp as starters. If, if ultimately we think they fit better on the team and it's better for them uh, to pitch out of the pen, we'll, we'll certainly broach that subject. Uh, so we, we do have that depth and, and we're looking forward to exploring it and, and we'll see where the pieces fall. CBA deal has been ratified. It's, it's done. It's, uh, we're moving forward with it. How much have you had to sit up and, and really study it to make sure you know all the, the nuances of the new deal? The, the details are still emerging. I think yeah. we, we have a, a memorandum of understanding, which is essentially a, an outline of the agreement, but the actual language is still in the drafting process. And so it's going to be a little bit of a trickle here as we go through the next couple of months as, as we learn details. Um, overall, I think we have a pretty good grasp of, of some of the more substantive rule changes that, that are coming down our way. Um, and, and we'll certainly alter our strategy to do our best to, to, to conform to those rules and also um, gain a competitive advantage where we think we can. Finally, I want to get to a Twitter question. A couple of different fans uh, tweeting us with a similar theme. Justin and Jason both asking, in terms of payroll, Brewers right now saving some money maybe for the future. They wanted to know what your philosophy is payroll-wise moving forward. Organization saving yep. in 2016 translates to what maybe in the future? Really, our, our payroll at this point is a function of the type of roster we want, right. to, um, we want to build. We want to build a young roster. We want to give our young players uh, a chance to develop at the major league level, to gel together at the major league level. And young players, due to the fact that they don't have a lot of major league service, are going to make less money. Right. Um, as we move forward and those players, that young core progresses throughout their career, um, we want to have the ability to keep them in Milwaukee. We want to keep that young core um, together. We, I, I talk a lot about acquiring, developing, and retaining um, the best young talent in baseball. And that retention part is, is a key part of that. And in order to do that, we need to make sure that we're, we're structured from a payroll standpoint appropriately so that when we get to that point, when those guys are making big money, we have the ability to keep them in Brewers uniforms because that's certainly our intent. You've got a lot going on. You've been a busy man. Uh, no off-season for you. We appreciate it. Happy holidays, and uh, we'll see you at Maryville. My pleasure, Lane. Thanks a lot. David Stearns, Brewers General Manager with us here on the David Stearns Show. And my thanks to the general manager of the Brewers, David Stearns, for joining us here on the podcast. Well, what's coming up? Here's what's on tap with the Brewers. Well, here's what we have for you. Of course, it's Brewers on Deck. It's going to be held at the Wisconsin Center in downtown Milwaukee. It'll feature a number of unique opportunities to get up close and personal with the crew. This is coming your way on January 29th. There's going to be autograph sessions photo opportunities, game shows, Q&A sessions, and more. Plus, with Kids Clinic, mascot appearances, a kids zone filled with interactive games, and a whole lot more, Brewers on Deck features something for the entire family. Advanced tickets, $15 for adults, $9 for children 14 and under. Tickets on the day of the event, $20 for adults, and $15 for children 14 and under. A portion of the proceeds do go to the Brewers Community Foundation. And that is going to do it for this special edition, an off-season edition, a post-winter meetings, and a pre-holiday edition for you here with Brewers on Tap. Have a great rest of your off-season. We'll talk to you following Brewers on Deck. I'm Lane Grindle. Happy holidays, everyone.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.